Hey friends, we hope this message from C3 Fort Worth helps you see Jesus like never before. And if you're in or around Fort Worth, we'd love to meet you on a Sunday or at one of our weekly dinner parties. We uh, started Lent this week. And some of you are like, yeah, and some of you are like, uh, isn't that like what other churches do? Um, we started a couple years ago this little journey into um, into the church calendar. We've never done that before. I didn't grow up in that tradition at all. And uh, it's been a unique journey. It's been a rich journey for us. Uh, we preached from something called the lectionary, which Nathan, having grown up the way he did, knew full well what it was. And he came up to me last week and goes, so what are we doing? And, um, and we preach out of the lectionary, and, and it's a beautiful thing. Although today, I'm taking a bit of a... Um, I'm kind of moving on a different direction towards something else. Just for today, we'll get back to it. Either way, it's okay. It's fine. It's a Bible. Um, but we, we started Lent. Now, some of you know what that means. Some of you don't. The word is not super significant. It has an aspect of 40. It has a, um, this kind of idea that there's, there's uh, time and space given. And the church calendar, what's unique about the church calendar, so you, you may have, if you've grown up in church or even if you haven't, there's a season called Advent. Many of you have celebrated it without realizing it. How do I know that? Because your church did a series on love and joy and peace, which are all the words that come from the church calendar, which is what Advent celebrates. So we're good at some of these seasons, but when you think of Lent, you think of, um, well, you think of ashes, you think of dust to dust, ashes to ashes, and you're not really sure what to do with it. You don't know why uh, in Mary's salon she had someone come in uh, who had, uh, had the, ash, uh, the cross on his face, and, and uh, her sweet mate goes, uh, what, are you, what are you doing? He goes, well, I went to church this morning. Yeah, okay, that doesn't explain it. Um, and so there's, there's all kinds of traditions and maybe things that we don't do if we've grown up in certain traditions. But what I've found in the body of Christ is that when Jesus said and when Paul said that when you, know, when you are this and you are that, but they all matter, it's true. And so there might be different traditions and there might be different backgrounds, but there's a beauty in all of them. And growing up the way that I grew up, traveling with my father and my grandfather into multiple different churches and different styles of churches, I grew up this appreciation for the varying ways that God speaks to his people, but about the same thing. And sometimes we, we look at per, certain traditions or certain styles or certain vibes or certain ways in which they do things. We check their social media. We look at their, you know, how loud is their service, how long is their service, right? Um, what, and we begin to make judgments about what they are. But the whole point of the church ultimately and will always be is that we grow up into the headship of Jesus Christ. It is always that. And what I love about our little church here, what I love about this space and place, and what I love about what God's doing here in this room, and soon to be hopefully in another room, some of you are new here, you don't know what I mean, but uh, we're looking to procure or secure a building, getting closer and closer, and it's awesome. But um, what, what I love about this space, and what I love about this place, is that we, we just all come from different backgrounds and different places, different seasons of life, different ages. Some of us got like 12 kids and some of us don't. Some of us like, we just, some of us live downtown. Some of us live, um, I guess it's uptown, but it's like 20 minutes away from here. It's still called Fort Worth. Um, and so we live in all kinds of different places and we have different things. And yet God can bring together this group of people. And I actually think that is where God rests. I actually have this conviction that God rests in uh, a group of people that appreciate the differences, that love the differences, that actually can learn from the differences. 
and I'm thankful for it. And so as we started Lent, which is a 40-day period, roughly 46 because you don't count the Sundays, but a 40-day period where you are preparing yourself for the, the death and resurrection of Jesus. It is this season where you take account of your life in light of the cross. It is an opportunity for us to take inventory, but not just take inventory, but to also pray and seek the Lord for what he would want to do. For some of you here, let me just explain it really simply. Before there was 21 days of prayer in January, there was 40 days of prayer and fasting in March. Can I just say it that way? That, that there's always been seasons of prayer and fasting in the church. And for a very long time, it has been during Lent. And so all the different things that you might think of it or hear about it or consider about it, the reality is, is that the ultimate point and focus of this is to put Jesus back in the space and place he belongs. It's to make sure that Jesus is fully and completely Christ in our lives, the anointed one, the Savior, the Son of the living God, that he is who he says he is. And it gives us an opportunity with all that has gone on and all that is going on to trust in Jesus again. And all of it is so that we might consider Jesus. And our vision here, like Pastor Mayor Shirt says, in shorthand is simply that you would see Jesus here. The full version is that you would see Jesus like never before in the streets and hearts of Fort Worth. That's our goal here. We do not want to have a self-contained experience of Christ. We just don't want the bricks to limit what God can do in our city. And I think your Monday matters as much as my Sunday. And I know I'm a preacher and I'm not supposed to say that. Uh, but what you do Monday matters. It matters immensely, whether it be parenting your children, whether it be running a business, whether it be going to work, whatever it is. Your Monday matters. And we believe that what we can do here on a Sunday morning is re restory our life in Christ. And so that is what Lent's about. So we had a Ash Wednesday service on Wednesday night. It was awesome without the ashes. Um, we didn't do the ashes. Uh, but we did have a really incredible, beautiful time of worship, prayer, of Scripture, and, and putting our eyes on, on Jesus. And it matters. It just matters. With so much that's going on, so many things that are happening all around our world, all around um, our country, even down our street, uh, there are things that are happening, and we need to have our eyes on Jesus. And part of the reason we want you to see Jesus like never before is so that you would see people like never before. And I've, never, I've never really gotten closer to Jesus and further from people. It seems to me that when I get closer to Christ, I have more room for people. And that seems to be the model. That's why we love dinner parties. That's why we love the table. It's why today after church, we're heading over to the Skinny, which is like one street over. If you look it up, it says it's on Bryan. It's not. It's not on Bryan Avenue. It's really close, but it's actually one street closer to us here on the east. But um, you'll find it. It's just one skinny little park. We got Black Cat Pizza coming, and uh, it's going to be really, really, uh, really, really good. Why does Isaiah 61 matter to us, though? Why is it important for us? Why does it matter to us that Isaiah 61, whenever we read this idea of uh, joy and we read this idea of beauty for ashes and we read these phrases that don't completely make sense to us, that, you know, the oil of joy, that sounds great. I don't know if that's an essential oil. I don't know if that's like something you mix with water when you drink it. I don't know what it is, but it sounds like I want that. Is there an essential oil called joy? I'm sure there is. I'm sure there is, because they need to sell you more things. Um, uh, but but I, I, Mayor has some. I don't, I don't know all the names and stuff. I just know she put one on my head the other day when I was not, I was not feeling good, and it burned. And I washed it off very quickly. Um, 
And so, uh, and so here's the thing. So we love these phrases. We love the phrases like the oil of joy instead of mourning. We love the crown of beauty instead of ashes. We love the garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And maybe some of these we love because of the antithesis. Maybe we love these because we don't like the spirit of despair or the mourning or the ashes. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, restore places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. There's a reason this resonates with us. Even if we don't fully understand it. Even if we don't completely get it, we like it. I like joy. I like praise. I like these things. And maybe more so, I just don't like those other things you read. See, the first book, part of the book of Isaiah, the first 39 chapters, they emphasize sin, the call to repentance, and judgment. The second part, the part that we would be reading here, chapters 40 through 66, emphasize the hope of restoration as revealed by God and foretold by the prophet. These former exiles have returned to Jerusalem. And after a lengthy exile that challenged their faith in Yahweh, the actual picture here and the people of God have been in captivity. They have been serving at someone else's leisure. They have been put into a place of subjugation. They have been oppressed, and they are questioning because of the length of time. They are beginning to question that God is who God says he is. They're beginning to question whether or not he's ever going to show up in the way he said he's going to show up. That he's ever going to do what he said he's going to do. Whether or not he's actually going to be here when he says he's going to be here. They're beginning to question all of it. You might say that they're having a, a crisis of faith. Maybe a few of them are deconstructing. Maybe, maybe some of them, which I don't understand why we put such a bad... Phrase on that, because some of you, when you were 20, believed something very different than you believe now when you're 60 or 40. And I believe God is big enough for the questions and the challenges. And you may not like the word, because the word conjures up something else. But the idea that we press into our faith enough to wonder about it is not a bad thing. And what God wants to do in these things is renew and restore and build something fresh in it. And Isaiah, these people are looking at this prophet, one of the great prophets of the Old Testament, and going, what are you talking about? This isn't happening. It hasn't happened. And they finally returned somewhere in between. Some theologians believe that it happened midway through the book of Isaiah. In fact, Isaiah may have handed off the writings to his disciples and said, okay, at the, the proper time, I want you to show these two people. There's a little bit of a disagreement exactly how that happened or maybe if it did or not. But this idea that at some point there would be something that, uh, that shows the people of God that he is and has been present. And this is what it says. That what has been mourning and what has been ashes and what has been dust and what has been problems and what has been destruction and what has been all of those things will be turned into something different. Now, I was really challenged to possibly just give you a book report today. All of our leaders are reading through this book, or at least they were just given this book uh, by Mark Sayers called The Reappearing Church. And uh, it's a brilliant book, uh, very, um, very rich and deep. And I would encourage you to grab it, whether or not you do it with us or whether or not you do it now. I would encourage you to buy it because I think books are awesome, and they say a lot more that I can say in 
40 minutes. But as he's opening up the chapter and he's kind of setting the tone, um, and this is why Isaiah 61 matters to most of us, it is not just at the macro level that secular myth of progress is being challenged. Our private worlds are in crisis too. Now this is written before uh, 2019. We see the rise of anxiety and mental health disorders, failing IQ levels, epidemic loneliness and social disconnection, widespread online bullying, and the presence of discrimination, bigotry, and hatred. Addiction to drugs, food, technology, sex, gambling, relationships are widespread. Obesity is rising, becoming a full-blown health issue. In the West, poor mental health is now normative among emerging generations. Life expectancy in the West, two most powerful nations, the United States and the United Kingdom, has fallen for the last three years running. With all these factors in play, we can see how many are having their moment of doubt. For the post-Christian revival seems to be running aground. Pretty heavy words. Now, the chapter he's talking about is that the idea that progress has taken over the presence. In other words, our hope for progress in life has taken over the presence of God in our lives. And so we want to progress every day. We, want to, we wake up making our goals and we do our calendar. And I love all those things. Just ask anyone. Every six months I got a new productivity app. I love them. I am addicted. And it's usually because I can just start over and forget all the things I didn't accomplish. But we, we, we have adopted this idea of progress. And it's why when we run into this after several decades of living quite comfortably in the West, when we run into a pandemic, when we run into social injustice, and we run into what is, might be a burgeoning war on our hands, we don't know how to handle these things because for a very long time, and for some of us, it's all we've ever known is peace, comfort, and Instagram. All we've ever known is, is the comfort of what is, and we have been given and handed to us on a silver platter this ability to live without thinking about anyone or anything. James K. Smith, in his book, You Are What You Love, writes about the way uh, malls took over building the, their buildings the way churches used to build theirs. They built them high. You walk in through a massive door. You walk down a gallery. You don't look outside. You own, there are no windows in a mall. And you don't ever see where the trucks drop off stuff. Because they don't want you to think about those things. They simply want you to think about the transaction you're making for progress. If you just get that outfit, if you just, if you just buy that thing, if you just move into, and I know that not all shopping, I'm sorry, if some of you guys have a shopping trip planned this afternoon, it is not bad for you to buy clothes. It is okay. But the idea here is that we have, we have substituted the thing that will actually provide and give us life for things that ultimately just grind us into the ground. And we have become people who are yearning for garments of praise. We are yearning for all of these things. I read this Wednesday night. It says this in Isaiah 61.3. The, the, this commentary by Alexander McLaren says this. You have two contrasted pictures suggested. One of a mourner with gray ashes strewed upon his disheveled locks and his spirit clothed in gloom like a black robe. And to him there comes one who with gentle hand smooths the ashes out of his hair, trains a garland around his brow, anoints his head with oil, and stripping off the trappings of woe, cast about him a bright robe fit for a guest at a festival. That is the miracle that Jesus Christ can do for everyone and is ready to do for us if we will let him. 
Why? Because ashes you would throw upon your head whenever you were mourning. You would put on sackcloth whenever you were in mourning. When you were beat up and frustrated and mad and angry or you lost something or you were transitioning from something, you, you, would, you would do all of these things as an outward sign of what you were walking through. And people would know that you were in a season of mourning. You were in a moment of mourning. And the scripture here in Isaiah speaks about, what are they trying to reference? That you have been a people for so long who have been in mourning. You have for so long waited upon God to set you free so that you can go back and rebuild the cities. Rebuild what I had made you and created you for and called you out for. And you can do that if you would turn to me. All of scripture, throughout all of scripture, whether it be Old Testament or New Testament, is this picture of us returning to Jesus. And in returning to Christ, him putting a crown upon our heads and a garment of praise upon our shoulders and saying to us, you now walk in joy and you have been given praise again and you are walking in the beauty of my kingdom. That's what all of you think about the prodigal son. What is the prodigal son? Prodigal son is one who returns to his father realizing that everything he ever got was from his father. And he was not meant to be feasting with the pigs, but was meant to return to his home. And the moment he got home, what does his father do? Lifts him up. What does he put on him? He puts on him a robe. And what does he do? He says, let's throw a party. This is throughout scripture. Every time Jesus heals, what happens? The person gets up. And what do they start doing? They start rejoicing. They start celebrating. When, when, when Peter sees what Jesus has done with the fish and brings it back on the boat and he bows before Jesus and goes, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. Right, what does Jesus do? Get up because I'm calling you into a new life where you are going to catch far more than this, do more than this, more than you ever imagined and I will be there to make you and shape you in the process. See, God has always wanted to be involved in what is happening in our lives, and most of what confession and repentance really looks like is not beating yourself up for the failures of your life or the failures of others. It is reminding yourself that even in your sin, even in your failures, even in your frustrations, even in the disintegrating things around you, Christ is there to lift you up and put upon you what he puts upon every child. This is the this is the good news of Jesus. The good news of Jesus is not that you are a sinner. The good news of Jesus is that in spite of such things, he is still a savior. In spite of such things, even when you come back having swindled all the stuff that he had given you, all the inheritance is gone, everything he gave you to go, he, he said, yeah, I guess you can go live it up, go do your thing. And you come back and you go, oh, I'm so sorry, I shouldn't, I'm just like the pigs. And he goes, no, 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 you are my son, stand up. This is what Jesus wants to do in our lives. And Mark Sayers references five phases, and you can write them down or not, or just buy the book because the book's good. Six phases of renewal. And I just want to go through these quickly, and then, uh, and then we'll close out today. Because I want to set a tone for what this Lenten season is for us. It really is from the ashes. Because if you're really honest, many of us, what happens when we go through a season like we've gone through over the last couple of years, what happens is it exposes all the cracks Right? It shows all the things we thought we believed in, thought we knew, thought we trusted, that aren't trustworthy, that I can't believe in, or at the very least that I'm struggling to believe in. And it reveals what we thought was comfortable, what we thought was never, ever, 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 ever going to stop. What we thought was never going to stop. 
Never going to let us down. And that is why the progressive dream of utopia is a stolen dream from the kingdom of God. But it doesn't work because there is no king to implement it. It is the reason humans always end up in this space because we always replace the king with another king. What happens with the Israelites early in the Old Testament? They go, would you just give us a king like every other nation? And God goes, I mean, I guess. I don't know why you would want that. Have you not been watching? And so they do. And they immediately end up in all these positions and places that are not good for them. Listen, let me just, please. If you have been told that the things God requires of you in Scripture is so that you might be lowly and, and, and hurt and frustrated and, and so that he could show his might in your life. No, listen, listen. The things God asks and require of you in this is for your health and life. It is to save you from running the rat race. It is to save you from putting all your stock in something that will fail. It is to keep you from doing those things so that when life hits a wall, which we all have at some way and somehow over the last couple years, that he can look at you and go, blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you who are mourning. Blessed are you who are hungry, for you will be filled. That is what Jesus is trying to do. So let's go through these five phases just quickly. And um, I wrote them down last night, typed them out, and uh, I just I couldn't get off of it last night. I, I had a different thing going, and, you know, stuff happens. First one is this. You go through five phases, and I'll go through them quickly so you can write them down. The first one is this, holy discontent. Holy discontent. That every, every renewal goes through these five phases. One, holy discontent. The second one, preparation. Preparation. Holy discontent, preparation. The third, contending. Contending. Fourth, holy patterns. Preparation, contending, holy patterns. Fifth, the remnant. That's a people. The remnant. And then the last is renewal. So let me just go quickly through these, and you can make notes. And yes, I'm giving you a bit of a book report. It's kind of cheating, uh, but it's okay. Everybody gets up and preaches and gives you a quote, and you're like, oh, that's awesome. And then, then you find out six years later that that was in a book that they had read. Um, holy discontent. Let me, let me just ask if you're here. A deep dissatisfaction with the low state of our faith, the church, and the culture. A deep dissatisfaction with low state of our faith, maybe? Or the church. And this isn't to be critical of the church. The church is made up of people and the culture. And really, dissatisfaction, if you have some good leadership in your life, what they'll tell you is where there is pain points in your life, there are also vision opportunities. Where there are things that frustrate you and, and cause you to be frustrated about what's happening, that actually is a good sign because some people just aren't frustrated about it the way you are. And your frustration can, I'm not saying always, I'm not saying that you should always stay in your frustration. I'm simply saying that this holy discontent is this idea that I'm not okay when I have friends and family who won't step foot in a church. I'm not okay when I have a tough time stepping foot in a church. I have a holy discontent. That isn't to say I will never go there. It is to say how can I be part of the renewal process of my life and of the church and be a part of what it wants to do. This is where our desires begin to align with God's desires to renew the world. Second one, preparation. The deep work that God undertakes in the hearts of those he wishes to fill with his presence. The deep work. We want deep wells. It's the hidden places. He writes in his book, he says, drenched in tears, 
built on late nights or early mornings, quiet spaces with his spirit and his word, calling out for God to first begin with us. Renewal always starts inwardly. Ryan Butler says this, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. That's where conf- confession and repentance come in. I know these are, these are words that have been used to beat people up, but this idea that I would repent and return and come home is a good idea. In fact, there are ways to translate repentance in the old Jewish writings would be to say, for you to return to what you are. For us as creations to remember there is a creator. And in the hands of that creator, we are best utilized, best made, best shaped, and we are best purposed in his hands. It is to return to that understanding of our life where we have reduced God to something other than he is actually meant to become. Just like the first commandment, do not put any other gods before. And if you read some translations, it says what? Do not put any other gods beside me. One of the challenges is not, some of you are going, well, I don't ever put, God is always top, above. Okay, but sometimes you make him equal. Do you sometimes make him equal to your paycheck? Do you make him equal to your frustrations? Do you make him equal to the way this went and that went and this went? And so now on Monday you're good, but on Tuesday you're not good, and on Wednesday you're okay, and on Thursday you're not, not good. Because there's something else that has taken the place on that day because they have, they've been put beside him. And so confession and repentance is a way for us to remember who we are in Christ Jesus. The third one, contending. The act of moving from a life posture of consumption and passivity to one of contending for God's presence to come with power. This occurs through the shift of contending prayer, which is common in all moves of God. Individuals or small groups of people cry out for God to move. There's never been a revival started by someone who didn't know Jesus already. Revivals start when someone encounters Christ in a new way, in a fresh way, and most often it is a group of people who already knew about Jesus, who'd already read their Bible, who'd been in church a few times, but they have a new revelation, a fuller revelation of Christ. So we want in this church for you and I to see Jesus like never before. So if you've come in here and you've had past experiences or past stuff, we want you to see Jesus in a way you've never seen him. And that goes for the non-Christian and the Christian alike. It goes for the people who've been to church and never been to church. We want everybody to see Jesus like never before. Because if you think you've arrived at a place where you know all you need to know about Jesus, please tell me. Because I need to learn from you. But the truth is, every single one of us, Every single one of us have more to know, more to learn, more to discover about the beauty, the power, the goodness of God. So we contend for it. We, we, we seek God for it. We wake up at 6.30, jump on a Zoom call, which all of you are welcome to do. Thursday morning and Friday morning, we had about 15 to 20 people on a Zoom call praying. It's all on our website. You can sign up, even if this is your first day. And you don't even have to put the camera on. We've had many of them not put the camera on. Many of them say, hey, I'm here. Um, and you can jump on and you can just listen. If you're driving to work at 630, jump on the Zoom call and let other people pray. But let's be a part of contending for what God desires. Amen? The fourth phase is this, holy patterns. A couple years ago, our vision was uh, that we would see Jesus in you, me, and us. And we were going to do it through three things. And I thought this was actually a pretty cool design. Claire wanted to make it a desktop thing. We should still do that, Claire. What's up? Um, Pattern, posture, and place. When we set right patterns, we change our posture, and then we can walk into places and inhabit them differently. And so we, in fact, we, I bought Mara this um, thing for Christmas called um, the chirp wheel. 
Anybody know this? Anybody got the Instagram ad? Okay, it's one of those rollers, the chirp wheel. It's like it's hollow on the inside. It's got a track for your, for your back. Nobody? Okay, fine. Whatever. Uh, maybe I really needed it. I don't know. The algorithm worked. And um, Mayor hasn't used it as much as I had because it hurts her back. And so I'm, I've been using it every day. And I'm, it's, it's like it just realigns me. It puts me in right alignment. And there are, but I have to, but here's the thing. I can't just have it. I have to what? Use it. Come on, that's a preacher trick. So we, we can't just have the thing. We have to use the thing. We, we actually have to contend and put into our life these patterns that begin to develop in us. We will not get good posture by continuing to sit in a lazy boy. We will not get good posture by continuing to slump our shoulders and always look at our phone. There is a posture both spiritually and physically that happens only because we do things that are different than what we have done. And it is why it pushes so hard against us is because it hasn't been what we've done. Sometimes we think it's the enemy. No, sometimes it's just because you haven't done it for 20 years. And sometimes it is hard to establish something in your life that is new. That's why you live in the body of Christ. Because when you can't do it, I'll hand you a Snickers bar. It depend on you watching TV to get that joke. Or you, I need you to hand me one and go, you're not acting like yourself. See, this pattern of coming together, the pattern of getting around the table, the pattern of getting up for prayer are, are ways in which, yes, we participate in the coming kingdom of God, but it is also in the way that it is put in front of us, the kingdom of God, in such a real, tactile way. In a world that is becoming increasingly digital, we are coming together as the body of Christ so that we might, in physical spaces, discover when I see you worshiping, when I see you praying, when I see you being uh, uh, willing enough and bold enough to come forward for prayer, when I, when, I see you work, when I see you doing these serving coffee and helping out with our kids, and when, when I see those things, it challenges me to come more, more fully into this expression and experience of Jesus because we are the body of Christ. Holy patterns reorienting our life around patterns that enable us to live and operate in God's presence. These patterns become an alternative to the world's great models of formation because the truth is you are being formed whether you like it or not. There are things in your life forming and shaping you today. That's why some of you have an itchy trigger finger right now. You want to pull out your phone because you have been trained in the way of observation and looking and liking and it's not, a, it's not a problem, it is, it, but it becomes an issue when those patterns suffocate the patterns that allow you to fully see Jesus. When, when, when we can't wake up to pray, and I'm not putting that, listen, this, that is not a guilt trip. I, I love, I've loved it. I don't like waking up that early, but I've really, really enjoyed it. Now, we've only done it two days. Ask me on Thursday, you know. Uh, but, man, it's, it's honestly, it's changed our morning because when we wake up, and we're up for a few few minutes, and then we get on prayer, and then and then I get my boys up earlier, and, and then we're we're all hanging around. My son, my five-year-old, is doing so much better. He's usually a mean kid. But I just wake him up and he says no, no, no for like 10 minutes. But I got 10 minutes to spare, so I let him say no, no, no for a while, and then he's all good. He just gotta get it out of his system. Come on, that's a that's marital advice for some of you. Just let him just sit in bed and no, no. Let him get it out. But establishing the patterns. And then you end up at this remnant. This remnant. This kind of like refined um, 
group of people. And this is the problem when we begin to think that big is, is always better, that somehow this idea that because it's a bigger room with a larger group of people, that it's somehow going to affect the earth more. Um, we all know that that's not true. In fact, now more than ever, hyper-local, um, small business it's like what we're all looking for. We're tired of buying for the big things. We, and sometimes it's convenient, but we love those little nooks and crannies where we find something that's unique to just this space and place and just unique to us. And, and so there's, there's something about the remnant where God can speak to a group of people. And some of you just came to church today just to check it out. And I'm going, you're a remnant. And you're like, whoa, like, hold on. It's okay. We'll let the other people do it. You can just hang out. But this idea that we become this group of people that God begins to work fresh in. And he, he begins to give you a picture and an idea and a good news. And, and you have a fresh revelation of who God is. And in so doing, we become knit together like strong oaks of righteousness, connecting arms so that people might come into this place and see Jesus without having to worry about figuring him out, without, without having to always have all the answers. We become this remnant group of individuals being renewed by God come together to contend for God to move powerfully, discovering forgotten habits and practices that have nourished and nurtured the people of God throughout the church's history. And then you end up at renewal. And I'm just going to read because it, I could try to repeat it, but it wouldn't go so well. I'm just going to read this to you. I'm going to read the description of renewal. And then I want you to think of Isaiah 61. I want you to think of Isaiah 61. As I read this, I want you to think about the people of God who've been questioning God, who've been frustrated with God because God hasn't shown up in the way they expected him to or done things the way they wanted him to or just, quite frankly, because validly they are frustrated. They're, they're still in captivity and they're frustrated that the cities have been ruined and they're frustrated that things haven't gone the way we all expected them to go. And, and I want you to think of Isaiah 61 as I read Mark Sayers describe renewal. As God moves, new life flows into the person or people of God. New vitality breaks out. The person or people walk with God in his presence, empowered by him. His presence comes with power. Ministry is quickened and empowered. What was excruciatingly slow and challenging before is now accelerated. As ministry is poured out, powered out, powered not by human effort, but by his presence. The individual church culture or movement centered around God now moves into a time of growth and advance as the kingdom moves forward, refreshing his people and those around them. Refreshment flows outward as the church becomes the ambassador of his presence in the world. Much of the Western church is operating on the kinetic forward motion of previous moves of God lounging on a platform built by the service and ministry of, of past and passing generations. We learned that Edwards, this is all Mark Sayers, we learned from Edwards' experience that renewal occurs when people get to the end of themselves, when the social bonds that have kept us strong begin to break, when the stories we have told to explain the world no longer make sense. Renewal is about Jesus. So I know you look at maybe a lot that's happening in the world, and maybe the last couple weeks, the last couple years has been really stressful, and, and there's a lot of things that you're going, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Let me just tell you something. Let me just tell you something. There's never a greater place to be if you're seeking the presence and renewal and refreshing of Jesus Christ than in a place where you are saying, I don't know. Because where the cracks reveal themselves, 
and where the places of frustration show up and where the questions begin to, to be on your lips at all times, God is ready and prepared to come to you with ash on your head, with sackcloth on your body, and say, no, 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 I want to replace this with the oil of joy, with the crown of beauty, with the with gladness and the praise. I want, to, I want to plant you like oaks of righteousness for my glory, that you might restore ruined cities. And I want to read Psalm 30 to close out today. Renewal is always, always, always about Jesus. Psalm 30 says this, verses 10 through 12. We read it this morning. Lord, listen and be gracious to me. Lord, be my helper. You have turned. I want you to hear this. I want to say this to some of you um, somewhat boldly. And, and, and I want you to read, I want you to hear this verse as present tense in your life. You have turned my lament into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness so that I can sing to you and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. Listen, the hardest part of rehab is always, always, always the step you have to take when you're done. It's hard at the beginning and it's hard in the middle and it's hard all these things. There's a point where you have to go, okay, I can walk on this again. I got to go back into the world again. I want to tell some of you, I, I just believe this about our church. And this is, so for some of you today, it was as much a vision setting thing for Lent as it was anything. So for some of you, you're like, I don't, I'm not even part of this church yet. And I just want to encourage you. Today was a bit of like vision and forecasting for our church and our community. But I, I, you're welcome to it, 100% welcome to it. Um, but I believe God is doing that within this community of people. I believe that God is doing something unique and special in this church. And I believe that he has pulled together this remnant of people so that we can contend and put together patterns that, 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 that create the space and the place for God to move in power. And that the dreams you thought would never come, the forgiveness you thought you'd never be able to give, the way the scripture reads you never were sure about, the, the coming together in church, the, the friends you weren't ever sure you'd invite, or whatever it might be, that God was going to renew your heart towards, towards Jesus, renew your heart towards his church, and ultimately renew your heart towards this city. So I'm going to pray that over you. So why don't you stand with me this morning? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, we thank you. Holy Spirit, come. I'm just going to give you 30 seconds. I just want you to ask the Holy Spirit. Um, again, I know some of this may be different to you. I, I don't want to make it weird. But I also don't want you to think that the only time you're going to hear the Lord is when you come to church on a Sunday and let someone preach. God wants to speak to you. He had, he had desires so deeply a relationship with you. And you. You'll hear him in your way, and he'll speak to you because he knows you. But he said that the, the sheep would know the voice of the shepherd. And so I just want to give you 30 seconds. Just ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, what do you, what do you want to see renewed in my life? What do, you, what do you want to see me let go of? Is it my faith? Is it, is it hope? Is it joy? What is it? I return to you. So I just want you to ask the Holy Spirit.